Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, welcoming you once again to a conversation about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Welcome to 2021. I'm sure you're like me. You're glad 2020 is gone. Last year was a tough year. We dealt with the pandemic, social and racial unrest, uh, chaotic political situation culminating in the presidential election, so many challenges in 2020. One of the challenges that some of you faced in 2020, which you also faced the year before that and the year before that and will likely continue to face going into the future, is dealing with personnel and personnel situations in ministry organizations. I know this is a common problem because of a couple of observations. First of all, the number of people who contact me and ask me for help. I get emails and phone calls from pastors and other ministry leaders saying, hey, this is going on in my church or in my organization or in my context. Can you help me with this employee situation? I also know this is a problem because I teach in our Doctor of Ministry program at Gateway, and we require something called ministry action contacts, which are the candidates writing out some live situation they're dealing with and bringing it to their seminar so we can have real-time conversations about real-time issues. They have to submit those MACs, as we call them, Ministry Action Contacts, uh, to us every month. And I read them as part of the leadership that I'm giving in one of our D-Men seminars. And uh, it's it's, uh, unfailing. It's uh, invariable. Every uh, so often I can count on getting uh, one or more MACs about personnel administration or personnel management in ministry organizations. So I'm going to start off 2021 with a two-part podcast on this important issue of personnel management for ministry leaders. Uh, You no doubt have a part-time person working for you or maybe multiple full-time people. Uh, You have employees that you are responsible to supervise, and because of that, uh, you have a need for some guidance along the way. You also might be listening to this, and you may be an employee in a ministry organization, and some of the things I may say today may help you to understand how to better interface with your supervisor or to work better in your organization. Another reason this is so difficult is, quite frankly, the problem is compounded by the lofty expectations Christians have of each other and of people they work with. Now, I certainly have high expectations for the people I work with. I expect them to come to work every day and act like Christians. And most of the time they do. But the hard reality is we're fallen creatures. We are sinful people. And we have uh, struggles because of that. And those struggles often show up in our work relationships. And so these are some of the reasons that that I think this is an important subject for us to start the year with, talking about personnel management for ministry leaders. And what I'd like to do on the podcast this week and next week is lay out six principles that will help you solve common problems. Now, obviously, this is not a full HR seminar, and I'm not going to delve into individual laws or situations like that. This is uh, way too complex for a podcast. Also, I know many of you are listening to this podcast in all different states and some even countries, and so that makes uh, it difficult for me to pin down the specifics of what you need to do in your particular situation. So instead of trying to do that, I'm going to take a principled approach and talk about six principles to solve common problems or to address common problems related to personnel management in ministry organizations. And the first one is this. Relationships are defined by a primary role, and we must recognize that role and work accordingly. 
Relationships are defined by a primary role, and we must recognize that role and work accordingly. Now, what I'm about to say is hard for some of you to hear, but pay close attention. The supervisor-employee relationship trumps all other relationships you may have with another person. That's why, for example, you don't employ your wife or you don't employ one of your children. Because nepotism has uh, been recognized uh, in all organizations and in all contexts as being ultimately destructive both for the organization and the relationships. Because when you start having to struggle between, is this my wife or my employee? Is this my son or daughter or my employee? You're obviously going to have uh, conflicts of interest and conflicts of responsibility and struggle will result. That's just one example, but there are many others that confuse us sometimes in ministry leadership. First of all, your supervisor-employee relationship trumps your shared church membership with another person. Now, sometimes I'm asked, should people employ members of their church to work in support roles? In other words, should you hire members of your church to be custodians or administrative assistants or child care workers? And sometimes even beyond that, should you hire members of your church to become staff persons in your uh, situation? And the answer to that is yes. There is no reason not to hire church members just because they're church members. But what you have to understand is that the moment that you employ a church member, Your supervisor-employee relationship now defines how you must relate to that person. They're no longer a fellow church member. Now they're an employee. This will also be hard to hear. Your supervisor-employee relationship also trumps your pastoral relationship with someone. Now, I know that especially if you are a pastor, you still feel like you're the pastor of your employees, and in some sense you are, but I would say it this way. You are pastoral toward them, and you try to fulfill pastoral functions in their lives, but ultimately you are their supervisor, not their pastor. And when decisions have to be made, you have to make them from the perspective of a a supervisor-employee relationship, not a pastoral relationship. And then certainly supervisor-employee trumps friendship. Now, let me be clear again. I'm friendly with all the people I work with. Uh, I'm also pastoral toward them, even though I'm a president. I'm friendly toward all the people I work with, but I am not their friends. I am their supervisor. I know this is hard because most ministry leaders want to be friends, pastors, and fellow members with their employees, but that's simply not the defining role in the relationship. You know, I learned this in a stark way, uh, a couple of different uh, ways. First of all, a number of years ago, I had a friend whose son was accused of a sex crime. And in the context of him dealing with that situation, I had a very frank and meaningful conversation with him and said, how are you handling what your son did, what he's now confessed to, and how you relate to him going forward? And my friend made this very insightful statement. He said, you know, I, I've struggled, of course, with that, but I finally concluded that my son has a judge, he has an attorney, he has an accuser, 
He has a pastor. But I'm the only person in his life that can be his father. So I've decided not to be his judge or his advocate or his accuser or his pastor, but to be his dad. And I'm letting that define our relationship. Man, that was so insightful to me because I realized that every one of us can choose how we define our relationship and operate out of that definition. That helped me to understand that I can choose the primary way I'm relating to people around me. And while I may be a fellow member with them in a church and I may be pastoral toward them in my relationship or function, and I may even be friendly with them, I have to make sure that I understand that the relationship that really defines how I choose to behave toward them is the supervisor-employee relationship. Now, I said there were a couple of ways I've learned this, and one was by my friend that I just described to you, but the other one is this. If you think your employees are not primarily employees, just wait until something happens that causes them to take legal action against you And you will soon discover that they are employees and that the laws of your state and federal law defend and define the role that they have. And that role is not member or parishioner or friend. That role is employee. Now, when I say take legal action against you, I don't mean necessarily that they sue you. I mean when a person comes in your office and says, This is what state law says I should be getting as an employee, or this is what federal law says I should be getting as an employee. And I'm not getting that from this organization. I'm not getting that from the church as an employer, and I want that given to me. That's what I mean by taking legal action. It's taking action against you based on the legal rights that they have. You know, it's interesting because many uh, ministry leaders fail to recognize that their employees have many rights granted to them that are just as applicable in religious employment settings as they are in secular employment settings. For example, at Gateway Seminary, there are certain ways that we can discriminate against employees. Uh, We can discriminate based on anything that comes directly out of our doctrinal statement. We're a religious organization. We have First Amendment protections. We can discriminate. We can decide things against employees if it's something that comes directly out of our doctrinal statement. But if it's not in our doctrinal statement, we're subject to the laws of the state of California and the other states where we do business and also subject to federal law. For example, uh, when you're interviewing someone at Gateway Seminary, You can ask them questions that come out of our doctrinal statement. You can even ask them questions about uh, their moral uh, commitments, about their marital commitments, about their sexual uh, preferences. You can ask these things because these things are part of our doctrinal stand as Southern Baptists, and we've made that very clear, and you have to stand with us in a certain way on what the Bible says on certain issues if you're going to work for Gateway Seminary. We can ask those questions. However... Uh, I cannot ask a prospective employee, how old are you? Or are you pregnant? Or do you plan to have children? Why? Because these are protected class questions that you simply cannot ask prospective employees, no matter who they are, or no matter what organization they're going to work for. 
Now, those are just some examples. Please don't take that as an exhaustive list, and please don't say the, think those issues can't ever be discussed because if the employee or potential employee brings up those issues, we can certainly discuss them. I'm simply saying that you have to understand that there are certain things you can do as a religious organization and certain things you can't do, certain things that you're free to ask or free to use in terms of employment supervision, and certain things you can't. And one of the ways you will know that your employees define themselves in relationship to you as an employee, not a friend, not a parishioner, and not a member, they define themselves toward you as an employee is how they will demand or how they will insist upon their legal rights being preserved in the employment relationship. Now, this can be very challenging for ministry leaders because Quite frankly, we're highly relational, most of us, and we want to just work with people. We all want to just get along. We all want to just serve and do what's right. But the hard reality is we have to realize that it is vital that we define the relationship appropriately, and that relationship is supervisor to employee first and these other things following after. All right, a second principle is this. Ministry supervision is difficult for ministry leaders because ministry supervision is hard work. Ministry supervision, personnel administration, personnel management, however you want to say it, is hard work. First of all, ministry supervision and personnel administration takes time. Now, one of the myths that many younger leaders believe is that if I could just get some staff to help me, it would take the time pressures off of me. That's exactly the opposite. You need to understand that staff increase your workload, not decrease it. Staff increase your workload, not decrease it. So, for example, if you're the pastor of a church and you think, I want to get an associate pastor who will take over some of my work and relieve some of the stress on my schedule, that's wrong thinking about how to staff for the future. What's more likely to happen if you get the right staff person is that person is going to reach a lot more people than you were reaching by yourself. And so now instead of 25 families that you're responsible for, you add the right associate and now you have 45 families because they're reaching more people and bringing them into your church and creating even more work for all of you. So the right staff increase your workload, not decrease it. And supervising staff takes time. For example, uh, at Gateway, I have to spend time meeting with vice presidents to make sure that they understand uh, my perspective on problems or issues or situations. I have to be, sh be available to them that they can ask me questions or troubleshoot problems. Um, I have to meet with them uh, regularly to keep us all on track and on the same page and moving in the same direction. Um, I have to have painful conversations occasionally where I say, don't do that, or that was a mistake, or I don't want you going that direction, and bring them back in a little bit. I also have to meet with them uh, at least once a year and do a full review of their position, a review of their job description, a review of their compensation, a review of their past performance, and a projection of future goals. Then it takes time for me to sit in my office and work through all this and prepare for the meeting and then have the meeting and then do the follow-up after the meeting. Yes, ministry supervision is hard work because it takes time. It takes time to make sure that the people who are relating to you as employees are on track, 
that they are supervised appropriately, that they're getting the right kind of feedback, that they're having their, the, the goals, uh, their accomplishments rewarded and their goals clarified so that you keep that employee really focused on the tasks that need to be done at the right time and the right way to support your mission. This takes time. So don't buy into the myth that, man, if I can just get some staff, my workload will get easier. The opposite is true. The more good people that I hire at Gateway, the more students we have, the more faculty we have, the more people that we're reaching, the more contacts we're having, and the more complicated my job gets. So remember, supervision takes time, and more staff mean more time that you have to devote to them and to the work that you're doing. Now, supervision is also hard work because it requires structure, and a commitment to process. Supervision requires structure. As I've already said, it requires things like written job descriptions that are updated uh, periodically. It requires having a written set of goals that an employee can work toward. It requires uh, having compensation review based on their achievements and the progress they're making. Uh, it requires setting, taking time to set goals for the future and have availability to employees to help them stay on track and keep working toward those goals. Uh, supervision requires structure. And second, as a part of that, it also requires a commitment to process. Supervision is not something you do once. It's a system you set up that you work over and over and over and over again. Now, don't be intimidated by this. There are already systems that have been created that you can get from other churches or you can get from other organizations or you can adapt for your and you can adapt for your purposes. Uh, that's, that's certainly possible. You don't have to recreate all of this, but once you put it into place, you have to work your process year after year after year and adjust the process as you need to and as time goes by. So here's... Uh, at least three reasons that supervision is hard work. It takes time, it requires structure, and it requires a commitment to process. Now, many ministry leaders chafe at these, uh, what they consider, uh, sort of onerous tasks that they have to do. Why is that? Well, because, first of all, many ministry leaders have a personality that's a little more free-flowing, a little more organic. Uh, they want to get together and have coffee and just kind of talk things out, uh, just kind of have a general sort of a nebulous sense of where we're going and how we're going to get there and stay fluid and flexible and open to the Spirit. Hey, listen, I'm totally for fluid and flexible and open to the Spirit. I lead what is, at least in the school world, considered a very innovative, fast-moving organization, so I'm all for that. But that does not mean that because my personality tends that way, I can't also learn to take the time to, uh, to create structures and work through processes to adequately supervise the people who are working with me. Another reason ministry leaders chafe at these things is because they like to focus on relationships. They want people to be their friends. Uh, they want to have a close connectivity with others. They they, they want to have a, a feel-good sense with everyone they work with. Well, I, I like to be friendly, and I want to be close to others, and I want to feel good about the people I work with too. But I recognize that beyond those things, I have a commitment and responsibility to focus on mission more than relationship. I'm going to talk about that uh, in, tomorrow's or in next week's podcast. But uh, focus on relationships holds us back in this area of fulfilling the hard work of supervision. And then finally, another reason ministry leaders struggle with this is what I'll just call warped theology. 
you know, we get a, a theological uh, confusion about priesthood of believers or about spiritual gifts or about uh, equality in the body of Christ. And we forget that the Bible also speaks pretty clearly about authority and responsibility and working with people and has multiple examples of organizational structure in both the Old and New Testaments. So make sure that you don't twist your theology to support sort of a loose approach to personnel administration. Instead, look more thoroughly at the theology that supports this perspective. Now you may be saying, man, this sounds overwhelming to me. I don't even know where to start. Well, let me give you two suggestions. First of all, talk to people in your church who do personnel management professionally. Uh, there are not people like this in every church, but there are people like this in many churches. Pull those people together and say, hey, how could you help me create a system of personnel management in our church that would have enough structure that could really give us focus as we work with people in an employee-supervisor relationship to keep us focused on our mission? They can help you do that. Then second, uh, turn to denominational resources or to other churches that are doing this well and ask them for assistance in creating these structures and systems in your church. There are, there are forms and models and books and, and seminars that exist on how to do this and how to do it well. So you can get help from those two sources. So what we've said so far is that ministry relationships are defined by a primary role, and that primary role in the context of supervisor-employee is supervisor-employee. And then ministry supervision is hard work. It takes time, it requires structure and a commitment to process, and we have to be careful that our personalities and our focus on relationships and maybe even some bad theology doesn't keep us from doing this well. Now, finally, for this podcast, number three, ministry organizations need clear personnel and supervisory policies. I've already mentioned this a couple of times, now I want to focus in on it more thoroughly. Ministry organizations need written job descriptions and work expectations. It's not enough to say, hey, you're the youth pastor, go work with the youth. That, that's not enough. You've got to lay out, here are the things that are part of your job, and here are the expectations we have that you will accomplish, and when you do, we will say you've accomplished your job satisfactorily. Some ministry organizations just believe that, well, we get the right person, and we give them a general sense of direction, and just under the direction of the Spirit, they're just going to do exactly what we need done. Well, to me, that's unrealistic. I think it's much better to lay out for someone, here's your job, and here's what we expect you to do, and more importantly, when you fulfill these responsibilities in these particular ways, in other words, when you fulfill these responsibilities and meet these expectations, we're going to reward you. Uh, we're going to pay you more, that's one form of reward, or we're going to give you more privileges, that's another form of reward, or we're going to increase your benefits, that's another form of reward, or we're going to call you up in front of the church and give you a plaque and celebrate your accomplishment, that's another form of reward. But written job descriptions and written work expectations lead to the capacity and possibility of rewarding and supporting the work that we want done. It's not just the negative. It's not just holding people accountable for when they don't perform. It's also giving them the grace and strength and support they need when they do perform well and celebrating their accomplishments. Now, what kind of written personnel policies do I mean? Well, please don't think you have to have a 100-page manual. That's not necessarily required or expected. For many churches, this can be summarized in just a few pages. Uh, first of all, you should spell out for your employees their vacation pay and how they accrue it and when they receive it. 
you should spell out sick leave for employees. And this is very important in ministry organizations because when someone gets sick, we tend to be very compassionate and sympathetic and say, oh, you know, just take all the time you need. Well, are you going to do that for every person who ever gets sick in your organization? Because if you're not, you're going to have a real problem on your hands because you treated people differently. That's why at Gateway, we have very firm sick leave policies and people can take their leave and we encourage them to take it and to take all of it they need. But when it's all gone, it's all gone and we have to figure out a different way to help them meet their need going forward. Then you need to have clear termination procedures spelled out. What happens if someone does need to, uh, to be released from their responsibility to be terminated? Well, that needs to be spelled out. Now you say, well, Yes, but our, our theology and our tradition and our practice need to inform these things. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> totally so. At Gateway, for example, our theology does inform some of our personnel policies. Our doctrinal statement says some things are inappropriate for Christians and certainly for Christian leaders, and if you behave in these ways, you will be terminated. And that comes right out of our doctrine and out of our theology. Uh, some things are a part of our practice. Uh, we're a school. We're not a church. We act differently. We're on a different schedule. We have a different kind of employees. We're uh, in a different industry. And so naturally, the practices that inform some of our personnel policies are going to be different than what are in other places. And that's fine. So don't feel like there's a cookie-cutter approach to this, but recognize that some of your uh, policies and uh, written expectations and job descriptions do emerge out of your doctrine and the practice of your industry or the practice of the kind of work that you do. But let me also caution you that your written uh, job descriptions and work expectations and other personnel policies must be within state and federal law. Now, many churches don't understand that they are responsible uh, to obey the laws in their, in their state and in, in our country, uh, just as secular organizations are in many different areas, many different areas, areas that are not doctrinally connected like age discrimination, for example, or areas that are not doctrinally uh, connected like pregnancy and things like that. Now, these things are covered clearly by state and federal law, and churches and ministry organizations are subject to following the law in these areas. And please don't say that you're not going to do this because of some kind of religious exception or religious conviction. Uh, you don't have a religious exception on having the fire code followed in your building. Why not? Because that's not a doctrinal issue. Well, in the same way, you can't claim a religious exception for how you relate to employees when you're not doing so for a doctrinal reason. Now, all of this can lead to good evaluation procedures taking place in ministry organizations. You know, this is one of the things that's most discouraging to pastors who contact me with these kinds of problems is they often feel like they're aiming at a target they can't see. No one really tells them what success looks like or what effectiveness looks like in their context. And so because of that, they're always a bit puzzled or discouraged, uh, sometimes even depressed over the fact that they never can quite get their work done. That's why it's important for you to have these kind of written job descriptions and work expectations and personnel policies so that you can sit down with an employee at the end of every year and say, hey, listen, this is what you set out to do. This is what you accomplished. This we celebrate, and this we'd like to see improved going forward. And that kind of uh, intentional uh, response and intentional con uh, support is what causes employees to thrive in, whether in any organization, secular or religious. All right. Well, that's the first three of six principles on personnel administration or personnel management for ministry leaders.
Relationships are defined by a primary role. You're not primarily a fellow member or a pastor or a friend. You're a supervisor to an employee. Ministry supervision is hard work. It takes time, requires structure, and a commitment to process. And then ministry organizations need clearly articulated policies. Not a hundred-page document, but a few pages that include a written job description and written work expectations and written personnel policies so that employees have a sense of what they're expected to do and can be both corrected but even more importantly rewarded when they accomplish things successfully. All right, that's part one. We'll pick it up in part two. This is an important issue, personnel management in ministry organizations as you lead on.